Cedar Point is issuing a fear warning for the city of Sandusky and the surrounding areas. Haunted Halloweekends will make landfall on September 17th and is expected to induce terror until the 31st of October. All patrons are advised to take caution. Unspeakable horrors are among us, and there's no hope of escape. Haunted Halloweekends, fear is waiting for you. Come and get it. <laughs> Haunted Admission is included with your gold pass, or buy a ticket at cedarpoint.com.
It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. It's the first Monday in October, so today begins a new term of the U.S. Supreme Court. The Trump-packed 6-3 right-wing dominated court will hear big, potentially precedent-setting arguments in areas including, but not limited to, gun rights and a woman's right to choose. Fun times ahead, she said sarcastically. Polls show Americans increasingly see the court as partisan rather than impartial. You think? Well, after last week's infrastructure roller coaster ride ended in midstream to be continued at a later date, we're still left wobbling on shaky ground as we're headed for a collision into the debt ceiling in just 12 days. But some things did happen while the ride was hurtling toward a vote. Despite the best efforts from the right wing of the Democratic Party to force the decoupling of the hard infrastructure bill, the BIF, from the larger so-called human infrastructure bill that'll be passed through reconciliation with only Democratic votes, didn't work. The two bills are again linked together. Leadership is now shooting for an October 31st deadline, as that's when the newly extended highway funding program will expire. So, in conjunction with the reunification of the two bills, it appears that the top-line number of the larger bill has now also been reduced. Caving into Joe Manchin's demands, President Biden, on his visit to the Hill on Friday, said it would be reduced from $3.5 trillion to between $1.9 and $2.3 trillion. So the corporate conservatives are happy that the dollar amount is reduced, while progressives are satisfied that the two bills are now officially linked again. All right, so who's got the drama mean? The International Consortium of Investigative Journalists is at it again. This time, they obtained a trove of records, now known as the Pandora Papers, that pulls back the curtains on hundreds of world leaders, politicians, billionaires, celebrities, religious leaders, and drug dealers, the wealthy elites from more than 200 countries and territories, who use tax and secrecy havens to buy property and hide assets, to avoid taxes and... Well, use your imagination. They include more than 330 politicians, 130 Forbes billionaires, royal family members, and leaders of religious groups around the world. In all, more than 330 current and former politicians identified as beneficiaries of the secret accounts also include former U.K. Prime Minister Tony Blair, Czech Republic Prime Minister Andrei Babas, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, Ecuador's President Guillermo Lasso, and associates of both Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan and Go figure Russian President Vladimir Putin. Other disclosures hit closer to home for U.S. officials and other Western leaders who frequently condemn smaller countries whose permissive banking systems have been exploited for decades. And this quote says it all. The files provide substantial new evidence, for example, that South Dakota now rivals notoriously opaque jurisdictions in Europe and the Caribbean in financial secrecy. South Dakota. Tens of millions of dollars from outside the United States are now sheltered by trust companies in Sioux Falls, some of it tied to people and companies accused of human rights abuses and other wrongdoing. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg known as the Pandora Papers. Stay tuned. Well, when pipes run under the oceans carrying oil, there are bound to be disasters. And sure enough, it happened again. This time, a ruptured oil pipeline off of Huntington Beach in Southern California created a miles-wide oil sheen. 
It coated the beaches in thick lobs and killed untold numbers of fish and birds. Beaches around Huntington Beach in Southern California could remain closed for months. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci on Sunday said that the United States was, quote, turning the corner on the current Delta coronavirus variant surge, but that, quote, it's still just too soon to tell if Americans will be able to safely gather in larger groups over the coming holidays. Those comments came a day after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released its latest recommendation for celebrating the holidays, including urging people to keep windows open for better air circulation if the gatherings are indoors. Okay. A Facebook whistleblower who released internal research indicating that the company was aware that its social media platforms, including Instagram, could harm teens, revealed her identity Sunday night, appearing on CBS 60 Minutes. The whistleblower Frances Hogan, a 37-year-old former Facebook product manager who worked on civic integrity issues, said, quote, The thing I saw at Facebook over and over again was that there were conflicts of interest between what was good for the public and what was good for Facebook. And Facebook over and over again chose to optimize for its own interests, like making more money. Facebook has responded, calling her allegations misleading. Well, of course they did. So Todd Aiken died, and you're going, wait, Todd Aiken, that name sounds familiar. He's the former congressman from Missouri whose 2012 Senate campaign failed after he said of rape victims. If it's a legitimate rape, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. Well, he's dead. I got and that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is fully listener-supported, and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com, and please click on that Donate button. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. When you're a Democrat like David is, uh, that's a character-building experience. Yep, oh, I imagine. I imagine. What's that car release that's ahead of Alabama between Philadelphia? Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. We because we conducted a national job search and no one else would take the job. Today on Deadline DC, uh, we have a great show for you. Uh, I'm uh, a columnist for The Hill, a national democratic strategist, and a political activist for W News Radio stations WGN in Chicago and KNX in Los Angeles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. If you have any ideas or thoughts about Deadline DC, things you'd like us to cover and talk about, or if you have any uh, want any info about my uh, political polling firm, the best way to reach me is on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Brad Bannon. We have a really great show for you today. Our guests are today are, in the first half hour, Charlie Cook, uh, the nation's uh, preeminent political p- 
prognosticator. The show's brought to you by the letter P, for, by, for example. Uh, then in the second half hour, we have the provocative progressive political panel. There are those P's again. Uh, Tara J Devlin, uh, the host of Tara Buster, joins us along with our own executive producer and political activist, uh, Mark Gormaldi. But before we start the show, we have this clip uh, that's uh, designed to illustrate the nature of political polarization in America. The clip is from Representative Madison Cawthorn, from a Republican from North Carolina. It is time for us to stand up and say no to your tyranny. Now is a time for our pastors and our congregations, like this one here, like many of you that you represent. It's time for us to stand up and declare boldly that as men and women of faith, we have a duty to stand against tyranny. We have a duty to be civically involved. We have a duty to save this country for the next generation. Back into the Old Testament. Look at David. Look at Daniel. Look at Esther. Look at all these people who influenced the governments of their day to uphold Christian principles. It is time for the American Christian Church to come out of the shadows, to say no longer are we going to allow our culture to be determined by people who hate the things that we believe in. We are going to stand valiantly for God's, God's incredible, inerrant truths that predate any version of government. Because my friends, if we lose this country today, if we bend the knee to the Democrats today, our country will be lost forever and our children will never know what freedom is. It's our duty to stand up. Let us stand united as men and women of faith to fight for our country. Uh, that, of course, is uh, Republican Representative Madison Cawthorn, uh, who comes pretty close to me, at least to my hearing, calling for a religious war. Uh, our guest in this half hour to talk about political polarization and other issues uh, is Charlie Cook. Uh, Charlie is the founder of the Cook Political Report, and he's a shrewd observer of the American uh, political scene. You may have seen him on NBC, Meet the Press, um, or have read his column, weekly column in the National Journal. Charlie, uh, thanks for joining us today. And I also had the good judgment to ask you to be my best man about uh, 39 years ago. Yeah, I remember that. That was, uh, that was uh, quite a weekend. I'll never forget it, and I doubt uh, you and Lucy will either. Nor will any of Memphis, so. Yeah, normal of any of Memphis. No, that was a lot of fun. I think about that a lot. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, let's try this. Uh, let's start. Uh, Charlie, we have an incredibly volatile, polarized political climate. Uh, it's a lot different uh, from the way things were when you and I first got in this business a long time ago. In the old days, political parties cooperated there was at least a semblance of good feelings. Uh, there was conflict, of course, but there was a semblance of uh, cooperation. What happened to American politics? What can we? What can anybody do anything to fix it? Brad, I think that some a lot of it comes from sort of uh, ideological sorting. You know that we used to have. If this is the Democratic Party and this is the Republican Party, a substantial overlap between the two and that the conservative Democrats, liberal Republicans were the ballast that kept the, the parties from going off into a ditch on the left and right. Now it's completely separated, completely uh, so that 
Instead of a center-left party, you have a left party. Instead of a center-right party, you have a right party. And that um, so that there, there's sort of no common, very, very, very little that they could possibly uh, agree on. I mean, you know, a lot of people think, well, Nixon was conservative. My God, he went for uh, his first year in office, a guaranteed annual income, but basically a guaranteed uh, uh, income for poor families and OSHA and EPA. You had all these things happen that uh, or and you had conservative Democrats that were the people that fought civil rights. I mean, you had a lot of overlap that kept the parties from going off into different directions. So uh, it's it's the system's changed. And so now, uh, no matter how bad a candidate of your party is, you're going to vote for him no matter what, no matter how awesome the candidate from the other party might be. You're not going to vote for him no matter what. It's just parliamentary. Uh, do you think, uh, I think in one of your columns for the National Journal, I remember reading that uh, uh, we have basically a parliamentary, you know, European kind of parliamentary government. Uh, do you think that's where we're headed or do you think the cycle will turn back and we'll go back to an era of uh, bipartisanship? Well, I kind of got rid of my crystal ball back in 2016. Um, but um, I think we're going to a semi-parliamentary. I mean, I, what's, what's different, I think, is that we're heading towards parliamentary, but at the same time, the system has two parties kind of baked in because of the Electoral College and the requirement of, of getting uh, uh, a majority of the, in the House if, if nobody gets uh, uh, 270 electoral votes, so that a third party really can't win, a third or fourth or fifth, you know, like as you normally see in parliamentary co countries. So it's basically red, red, blue. And uh, um, so that the changes you see from one election to the next with the party so evenly divided, it just doesn't take much uh, in terms of one party being more motivated to turn out than the other or those that little slice of 10 percent that are true independents disproportionately breaking one way uh, or the other. So small numbers of votes and shares, uh, fractions of percentage points can have huge policy differences nowadays that you didn't see 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me ask you another question before we go to break. Uh, look at the national polls. Uh, one thing you see is that a large majority of Americans think the country's headed in the wrong direction. It may be, you know, like close to 60 percent who think the country's headed in the wrong direction. Uh, why do Americans feel that way? You know, the, I, I used to really watch that question a lot. Now I don't so much anymore because I can only think of one time in our, my adult life that more people thought right direction than wrong track. And that was immediately after 9-11. And so we're sort of baked into wrong track. It's just a question of how, how much of a, uh, of a gap is there between wrong track and right direction. Um, but, you know, it's a kind of question that no matter where you're coming from, if you don't like exactly what's going on, you say wrong track, even though, you know, people saying wrong track may have completely different views of what we should be doing. It's easy to say wrong track. But... Um, so I don't, I don't watch it as much as I used to. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's try, uh, Joe Biden's, uh, job rating is underwater. 
uh, depending upon, and, you know, I mean, and how much underwater depends on which national poll you look at. Uh, why, what happened to Joe Biden's job rating? Well, he had been holding up okay, uh, you know, gradually declining. You know, presidents don't get honeymoons anymore. You know, it's get, they get sort of a long weekend at best. <laughs> uh, but uh, starting the 1st of August, you started seeing a real, real serious decline there. And roughly it was sort of, it was the Mexican border issue had been holding him down. The coronavirus had been an asset. Now, even though I don't think he's done anything wrong, but it's, it's, it's you know. Charlie, it's I'm going to interrupt you. We have to go to a commercial break. We'll be back uh, right now after this commercial break with our guest, Charlie Cook, founder of the Pol Cook Political Report and uh, columnist for National Journal. back to seeing my grandbabies every Sunday and smothering them with big hugs and kisses. I want to get back to football games with my boys. I want to get back to feeling and touching, connecting with the people around me. I want to get back to family dinner and my grandma's mac and cheese. I want to get back to real grocery shopping, taking my time, walking down every aisle, smelling the tomatoes and melons, Having a free sample or two, or three. COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel. But now, there are vaccines. And they are the first step that let us get back to feeling optimistic about the days ahead of us. It's okay to have questions. Is it safe? Should I get it? Should I wait? Now, get the facts. Learn more at GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hey, sis, missed you this morning. Kim told me you weren't feeling well, so I'm just doing a self-care check. Oh, thank you, friend. How you doing? Girl, listen, my energy was so low because I didn't eat breakfast when I got up, so I had to miss virtual yoga with y'all. Mm, trust me, I understand. But I'm doing much better now that I've eaten, so I'm back on track. Great. In that case, let's get some steps in tonight. I'll come over and we can walk around the lake. Sounds good. Appreciate you being in my business, too. Now, let me get in yours. Did you check your blood pressure today? I did that and my squats, okay? Okay. High blood pressure is not going to be my friend if I can help it. See you at 6? Let's get it. See you then. Now more than ever, it's important that we protect our hearts and the hearts of those we love. Check in on one another and be a part of a healthy blood pressure movement. Rally your squad to take the online pledge at releasethepressure.org. Brought to you by the Release the Pressure Coalition and the Ad Council. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1936. That was the day Londoners referred to as the Battle of Cable Street. By some accounts, as many as 250,000 trade unionists, radicals, and anti-fascist fighters joined together to protest Sir Oswald Mosley's British Union of Fascists. The fascists planned to march in black shirt uniform through London's then heavily Irish and Jewish working class East End neighborhood. Mosley's BU 
Kuap scapegoated Jews for the economic crisis brought on by the Great Depression. He had drawn thousands to rallies in previous years and now looked to impose fascist dominance over the most vulnerable of Londoners. Bill Fishman, a Jewish activist and son of an immigrant tailor who was there on that day, recollected, quote, I was moved to see the bearded Jews and Irish Catholic dockers standing up to stop Mosley. I shall never forget that as long as I live. How working class people could get together to oppose the evil of fascism. The Metropolitan Police stationed as many as 10,000 policemen to keep counter-protesters from directly confronting the BUF. But the anti-fascists physically blocked every possible path into the East End. They constructed barricades along Cable Street made from paving stones and household furniture. Women emptied garbage bags and chamber pots from windows onto the fascists. Marbles were thrown in the direction of the fascists and their protectors. Seamen pulled out their lorries and turned them on their sides. Tram drivers parked and abandoned their streetcars in the middle of the street to prevent the fascists from continuing their march. Protesters chanted the slogan of the Spanish Civil War, No Passeran, or They Shall Not Pass. And that day, the fascists did not pass. They were stopped by the power of working people. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is uh, Charlie Cook, the founder of the Cook Political Report. By the way, uh, welcome back to our radio listeners. If to our radio listeners, uh, if you'd like to watch Deadline DC as well as listen to it, uh, you can uh, catch us on Periscope TV. And that uh, that handle is periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. Uh, you can find us on tinyurl.com front slash BB Facebook Live. And you can also find us at tinyurl.com front slash Brad on YouTube. So if you want to watch as well as listen, uh, that's how you can do it. Uh, Charlie, uh, in November, we have the midterm elections uh, next year, uh, a little over a year, 13 months, I guess. Uh, but before that, we have uh, a big governor's race in Virginia. Uh, and the candidates are uh, the former Democratic governor, Terry McAuliffe, uh, and a re wealthy uh, Republican businessman named G uh, Glenn Youngkin. Uh, the Cook political report created quite a stir in the political world uh, the week before last, I guess it was, when it said that the race was uh, basically a, a toss-up between McAuliffe and Youngkin. Uh, came as a shock to people who, um, you know, some people, especially Democrats, I guess, who thought McAuliffe was a sure thing. Uh, what's going on in Virginia? Well, we we there were there were polls, including Democratic polls in late August that were sh that was showing this race down into low to mid single digits. This race had gotten a lot closer than people thought a, a good while ago. And it was just took a while for a lot of the public polls to kind of catch up. A Democrat should be winning in Virginia by, you know, four points, four or five points, given the direction of the state. 
and that uh, McAuliffe hasn't done anything wrong, said anything stupid. He's got a good campaign. Both sides have decent campaigns, have good campaigns. Um, this is basically, it's, it's about mobilization. And the fact is, and this is what I'll scare Democrats, is that, you know, think of it this way. Which side's voters are going to be more motivated? The side that just got what they wanted in the last election or a side that had it taken away from them, that lost it? The, law, the side that's, you know, revenge and anger are much more uh, stronger, stronger uh, emotions than uh, gratitude, satisfaction, thinking that everything's going, going fine. Um, and that, you know, that's one of the key reasons why midterm elections turn out to be so bad for parties that are in power when you've got the presidency, the House, the Senate. So I would watch if, 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 if McAuliffe wins by four or five points, then that would be something really good for Democrats. If he wins by just a point or two, that would be worrisome uh, for Democrats. If he loses, that ought to scare the hell out of them, that it could be a sign of something down the road for them next year. Okay, and if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I am, uh, Democrats have won every statewide election in Virginia since 2013. Uh, so it would be a shock if uh, McAuliffe uh, loses. Uh, well, let's uh, use that. Uh, Democrats are in a very precarious uh, position uh, facing the midterm elections uh, next year. Uh, the president's party uh, usually loses seats, and obviously uh, the Democrats have little margin for error. Uh, they have, they're in a flat-footed tie in the Senate uh, and control the body thanks to the tie-breaking vote of Vice President Harris. Uh, they have a very wafer-thin majority in the House of Representatives, uh, so uh, Democrats have a tough haul uh, in next November, don't they? Yeah, I, I wouldn't even begin to venture a guess what's going to happen in the Senate, uh, just because there's a, just a small number of races, only seven competitive states, really, four held by Democrats, three held by Republicans. And, you know, there's just a lot we don't know. In the House, though, where Republicans basically need a five-seat net gain, but that five-seat advantage basically is eroded by reapportionment on, the, on one side and redistricting on the on the other. Um, if you're looking for any good news for a Democrat, it would be that because they lost 11 seats in the last election in the House, you know, one of the there, there are very few things you can count on in life. Death, taxes on an airliner, the A seat's always going to be a window and you can't lose the seat you don't have. You can't lose a seat you've already lost. So there are 11 fewer Democrats in the House in competitive districts than there were before the last election. So the average losses of 20-something, you know, depending on which, 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 what time period and who you're including, excluding, um, that, that's probably uh, uh, way high, to be honest. But um, the chances of Democrats losing the House, uh, it's a real big number that probably starts with at least a six, if not a seven. Okay. Uh, let's talk about what is, in the, on the Senate side, uh, what is the most uh, vulnerable uh, Republican seat in the Senate side? Well, I'd say, let me do it differently. I would say the two closest to the bubble would be the open seat in Pennsylvania, where Pat Toomey is retiring. 
I'd say the second most would be um, uh, would be Richard Burr's open seat in North Carolina. And in terms of incumbent, well, and I would put Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, and we don't know whether he's going to run or, or not. But those would be the three Republican seats where Democrats have, you know, the best chance of, uh, chance of picking off. Um, but Democrats need to be really worried about, for example, New Hampshire. Uh, um, um, Maggie Hassan. Who looks like uh, uh, he's probably going to take on Maggie Hassan. Okay. What other uh, Democrats have vulnerable? Well, we're we're kind of in Nevada. Catherine Cortez Masto uh, is probably. I mean, Nevada is just basically it's a it's an even it's a pretty even state, and so any relatively you know relatively new person, you know, that's going to be. I would say that's the one one that I would be really 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 concerned about if I were I were Democrats that so I would say Nevada and New Hampshire um, really more than more than the others okay okay so uh, the Republicans have a few uh, dangerous uh, Senate seats to hold and the Democrats have a couple uh, what about uh, what about uh, Georgia uh, uh, that's an interesting race I left out uh, um, yeah, I should have should have left out that you know you've got because you've got two people that got elected to the Senate just um, in and um, they got elected to the Senate just last year that are you know obviously coming back around and um, you know Raphael Warnock for example um, would be one and Mark Kelly is the other so uh, you know I'm thinking uh, these these guys that just came in in January. Uh, uh, I'm not ready for them to come back. Okay. Charlie, unfortunately, we're out of time. I want to thank you very much for joining us. Our guest in this half hour was Charlie Cook, the preeminent political prognosticator. I got to practice saying those P words. Uh, anyway, Charlie, thank you very much. Charlie Cook joined us in the second half hour. We'll have more P's of provocative progressive political panel. Stay tuned. We'll be right back in a minute. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? Thank you, Charlie. What's in this box? Yeah. Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> 
When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. Exciting news from Wall Street. Our wealth markets are booming. Everything from the Dow Jones average to gold prices are rocketing to new records, showering us with wealth from above. Oh, wait, maybe you're one of the big majority of workaday Americans who don't own stocks or gold, so maybe you're not celebrating Wall Street's big boom. But just chill, because conventional corporate wisdom assures us that the wealthy will invest their good fortunes in enterprises that eventually will produce trickle-down gains for everyone. Excuse my rudeness, but let's take a peek at how those who are reaping today's big buck bonanza are actually investing that wealth. Look at Wall Streeters themselves. The big banks have been making money like, well, like bankers, with their stock prices zooming up by 28% just since January. So how are these moneyed elites spending this windfall? Not by making job-creating investments, but by simply giving the money to their big shareholders, including their own top executives, nearly all of whom are already among the richest people on earth. The main way they do this is through a sleight of hand called a stock buyback. The honchos simply cash out the bulk of that 28% increase in the value of the bank's stock price, using that money to repurchase more of their bank's own stock from lesser shareholders. Hocus-pocus, this manipulation artificially pumps up the value of the stock these insider shareholders already own, making each of them even richer than rich, although they've done absolutely nothing to earn this increased wealth. This is Jim Hightower saying, it's not a small scam. J.P. Morgan Chase is now sinking $30 billion into buying its own stock. Wells Fargo is shifting $18 billion into the scheme, and Bank of America is throwing $25 billion into its buyback. Wall Street bankers are the biggest robbers in America. Ready? Sanders talk about the urgent need for the big and bold infrastructure program. The president has said is that there's going to have to be some give and take, and I think that that's right. I think if anything, Jonathan, when we especially talk about the crisis of climate change, and the need to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel. The $6 trillion that I originally proposed was probably too little. $3.5 trillion should be a minimum. But I accept that there's going to have to be give and take. Okay, that, of course, was Senator Bernie Sanders uh, talking about the need to deal with climate change and other problems facing our great nation. Uh, this half hour is brought to you by Bannon Communications Research, my polling firm, which works for progressive issue groups, labor unions, uh, and Democrats. Joe Biden's economic efforts are paying off 
and he deserves credit for resuscitating the failed Trump economy. Through August, the new administration has created about 4 million new jobs uh, after the economy left a lost about 10 million jobs under Donald Trump. Cash-strapped working families needed a big boost, and the child care credit uh, in the American Rescue Act has become law and provided millions of dollars to hardworking parents and their vulnerable children. But so much more needs to be done. Passage of the big and bold Build Back Better bill would continue and even expand the recovery that's already started under Joe Biden. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Our guests on the panel today are Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, and a frequent contributor to uh, Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, she's the host of her own show, Terrorbuster, uh, and to prove it, I have this uh, ter official Terrorbuster yes. cup. We both have clink, clink. clink. Uh, and also joining us on the panel is our own executive producer and uh, progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the big issues uh, facing the United States in the political news of the week. Uh, let's start with uh, Build Back Better, which we had Senator Bernie Sanders comment on. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, right now, uh, Joe Biden is taking a beating uh, in the press. Uh, the uh, Congress is uh, fighting over uh, the Build Back Better program. Uh, they're, you know, they're obviously two pieces of infrastructure legislation, uh, one a package for about $1.2 trillion, uh, which is basically for hardcore infrastructure, roads, bridges, uh, building stuff. Uh, and then there's a larger package kicking around in Congress at about $3.5 trillion, uh, which contains money to fight climate change, to expand Medicare, uh, and to do a lot of, uh, you know, you know, just as an example, the other other couple of things which I think are very important in Build Back Better, um, there is uh, money for to expand daycare. Uh, there is money uh, to uh, create uh, free two-year college tuition, uh, universal uh, uh, pre-K through 12. So there's a lot in there. Uh, let's start with you, Tara. What do you think we're going to end up uh, when this is all said and done? What do you think we're going to end up, what will end up passing Congress? Well, I think that I, obviously Joe Biden understands that this has to pass no matter what, and it will pass. That's why I, I'm, I get agita watching all the corporate media coverage of it because it, it just gives me it stresses me out because yeah it does me too yeah it's because uh, biden he he's it, it will pass it's but i agree uh at what bernie said of course um they should have started at a higher number and they already negotiated down to 3.5 trillion right so this is already yep. a compromise but the 
most important thing is to get these programs started. Get them in there, and then we'll we'll fund it if if need you know down the road as they as they are working and the people see the benefit in their lives. The Republicans they they do not want to pass this on so many levels. Not only just not giving Joe Biden a win, but it's also they don't want the American people to think that government has any obligation to them at all to to the people as far as the republicans are concerned government exists to funnel money from the working class to the rich and that's all they've done that's all they've done with the economy that's what they leave us with constantly whenever they uh, pass the baton reluctantly or not and they yeah, you know, everything they touch, it's you know, it's about concentrating wealth. So this is going well, to Well, hold that thought, Tara, mm-hmm, because we're mm-hmm. going to break now. Uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, with Tara Devlin, the host of Tara Buster, and our own executive producer and political activist, Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back right after this brief message. Uh, Brad, I'm so sorry to do this on here, but we still have four minutes, so I don't know. Yeah, what? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. three forty-five. So I don't know if maybe you got okay. the time okay. mixed up, but that's uh, okay. That's why Mark, I was. You, what do you, you think is going to happen? Build back better. Well, I think Tara's right that something will pass, but uh, you know, I'm very frustrated as are you know most Democrats, frankly, regardless of you know whether you consider yourself you know more to the left or the middle or the right of the Democratic Party. There's broad consensus around the uh, issues that are in this human infrastructure bill that you've been talking about. And there's broad consensus in in the Congress and in the Senate uh, amongst Democrats where you have 48 senators and it's coming down, of course, as you know, most people know now to two senators who are not only refusing to vote for this, but have been refusing to even list what their compromise is. And of course, mm-hmm. that's Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Senator Kirsten Cinema of Arizona. Um, Manchin has been kind of in this position, you know, for a while now within the Democratic Party, but it's a newer phenomenon with Kirsten Cinema. And, you know, in West Virginia, you could argue that, you know, the politics of it for Manchin, you know, it's a state that overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump. So, you know, not that I agree with this, but you could argue that, you know, he's a centrist because of his constituents want him to be. But in Arizona, that's not the case whatsoever. And you've seen that over the last few days as the constituents of Senator Cinema have followed her around asking her, you know, why she won't vote for these this bill that has all these provisions in it that her constituents uh, approve by a large majority. And the other thing that's more troubling is you see both Manchin and Cinema going to these high-dollar fundraisers by these large corporations and large donors that are in direct opposition to this bill or any bill like it passing. So it doesn't take much imagination to jump from, okay, they're going to these fundraisers to these people who are filling their campaign coffers who don't want the bill to pass, and now they're playing hard bill with hardball with the bill passing and won't seem to give any sort of number that they are willing to spend. Uh, The last thing I'll say that's extremely frustrating to watch is you hear, you know, them bring up the deficit. Well, let's talk about the deficit. Okay. First of all, and you hear Republicans with especially, you know, rank hypocrisy when they passed the Trump tax cuts, 
tax scam, really, because of the way it was written and the way it was passed. But it's either here or there. It was $2.1 trillion, boom, one time $2 trillion, whereas this bill that that's being talked about, the reconciliation bill, is over 10 years so when you're talking about $3.5 trillion over 10 years or $2 trillion right, th- right then and there, you know, one time, I think it's a very big difference. And I think even if the number is then probably negotiated down even further, you're then dividing that by 10 years. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you really look at the provisions that are popular, not just amongst Democrats, but amongst American people, um, and then you look at the way that the, the bill is being funded, I think it's a lot different than the way it's been covered, unfortunately, which is not a shock to, to a yep. lot of people. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Now uh, we can go to break, Brad. Now we can go to break. <laughs> okay. Now we can go to break. Uh, this is Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, we're going to break, uh, but we'll come right back out uh, after this brief message. Hold on one one sec, Brad. We're almost there. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey, we're pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Might have to start a band. (laughs) I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. (laughs) Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel. We show up differently, worship differently, and have found new ways to express our love and support to family and friends. But now there are vaccines and they are the first step that lets us get back into the things we miss most. Like spreading the word without spreading concern, girls tripping instead of solo sipping, brunching instead of late night munching, and talking smack with a side of mac and cheese. It's okay to have questions about COVID-19 vaccines. Should I get it? Should I wait? Is it safe? Can I trust it? What about pre-existing conditions? Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when COVID-19 vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome to Code Whack, your podcast 
on America's broken healthcare system and how Medicare for All could help. I'm your host, Brenda Gazar. How do retired Americans feel about Medicare? What concerns do some seniors have about improved Medicare for All? And are they valid? To find out, we spoke to Jody Reed, the Executive Director of the California Alliance of Retired Americans, a grassroots senior advocacy organization. She has 40 years of organizing experience, mostly with community-based and senior-based organizations on issues ranging from healthcare to housing. Welcome to Code WAC, Jody. Neither Medicare nor most of the supplemental coverages cover dental. And for people who have chronic illnesses, especially heart disease, oral health is essential in maintaining your whole body health. And a very close friend of mine, actually, who's a senior, he had just become Medicare eligible, was diabetic and had some heart issues. And he did not have dental coverage after he no longer worked. He used to have it, and then he lost it because... Medicare doesn't cover it. And he had a series of dental problems that turned into an an abscess and an infection. It was so bad. He was having trouble breathing. He checked himself into the hospital and the next day he died because the infection went to his heart. Had he had dental coverage and had been able to have his infection and an abscess dealt with, which he would have had when he had his dental coverage, but could no longer afford. That never would have happened. Mm, I'm so sorry to hear that. Wow. But there's tons of stories like that. Thank you, Jody Reed. Get the full Code Wax story on ProgressiveVoices.com and on the PV app. Catch all our episodes by subscribing to Code Wax wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is powered by Heal California, a nonprofit that uplifts the voices of those fighting for healthcare reform around the country. Until next time, stay healthy.
Welcome back to Deadline Brad Bannon, our guest on the provocative progressive political panel, are Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, uh, which I encourage you to listen to. Yes. Uh, and by the way, if you want to reach Tara on uh, Twitter, her Twitter handle is uh, Real Tara Devlin. Uh, also joining oh. us, yep, and the cup to prove it. <laughs> I have mine. She is. Uh, also on the panel is uh, Mark Grimaldi, our, my executive producer and also a progressive political activist. Okay, Mark, let's try this. Uh, the Supreme Court begins its new term today. Uh, we have now a Republican conservative majority on the court, uh, six to three, uh, with three lone def uh, def progressives to defend our positions. Uh, how bad is this term going to be, do you think, Mark? Well, it's. I think based on the fact that the Supreme Court did not intervene in a clearly, you know, in the Texas abortion law, um, which was clearly against Roe v. Wade, which they've set as precedent, it's a dangerous sign of what's to come, in my opinion, um, especially for reproductive rights. Um, and I think that, you know, you have other things on the docket that are related to religion, related to guns. And let's face it, it it's already a very dangerous country because there's more guns than people in it. And if you're going to loosen the the hard-fought regulations, that the very few regulations, but the hard-fought regulations that there are on guns um, around this country, it's only going to get more dangerous. I mean, that's already been proven. So I think there's a lot at stake. And let's not forget the fact that Justice Breyer is, you know, I think being a complete fool about whether or not he's going to retire um, while there's still a Democratic president and a Democratic mm -hmm. majority in the Senate. And you saw, you know, what happened previously with the untimely death of Justice Ginsburg and how that moved the court from, you know, five to four with, you know, going from it was Justice Kennedy was the swing vote, then Justice Roberts actually kind of turned into the swing vote. But that's out the window right now because it's six to three. And now you're going to tell me that you want to potentially let it become seven to two. Mm. And, mm. you know, and let's let's not forget the fact that it should have been uh, Justice Merrick Garland if Mitch McConnell mm -hmm. didn't block that. So really, when you compound all those factors, um, it's looking pretty bleak, which is something that yeah. those of us who have followed the Supreme Court um, have seen coming for a while. I mean, you saw Brad yeah. and Tara, um, how terrible the Citizens United decision from 2010 yep. has affected our entire political system for the past yep. decade. I mean, we were just talking about how Senators Cinema and Manchin are going to these um, fundraisers and then the money that they're receiving it looks like it's directly influencing them voting against the interests of their constituents. And that wouldn't be so prominent if it wasn't for a Supreme court decision. So, right. you know, it all goes hand in hand. And I think most Americans, you know, when you look at polling on the issues that are going to be in front of the court, which include uh, guns, uh, reproductive rights and um, religion and particularly the separation of church and state, Pretty. 
It's pretty damn scary. That's yeah. what it is. But those are all uh, issues that the majority of Americans are against where the Republicans right. are right now. Yet the Supreme Court doesn't doesn't care about that and doesn't seem like they're going they to rule that way. Exactly. Okay, and Tara, let, let me let me ask yeah, you a question. Go ahead. Sure, sure. Uh, this uh, on Saturday, uh, there were reproductive rights marches across the country in Washington and many large cities across the country. Uh, one of the first cases that the court is going to hear, the Supreme Court's going to hear arguments um, on is a Mississippi, new uh, Mississippi abortion law that essentially bans abortion after the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, now, if, the, and you know, as I said before, uh, there is a six to three conservative uh, majority uh, in the uh, on the Supreme Court. Now, uh, I believe the court will hear arguments on the new Mississippi law uh, on November 2nd. Uh, and also we have the Texas law, which virtually bans all abortions for mm -hmm. all intents and purposes. Now, uh, Mark brought up the fact that the Supreme Court, by a five to four margin, allowed the Texas law to uh, stay live while uh, it, the case is being considered. Uh, the three liberal justices and Justice Roberts voted to stay the Texas law, uh, but five justices voted to let it go ahead. Now, if those five, I doubt very much whether Roberts would do something as drastic as uh, essentially you know, throw Roe versus Wade away. But I think there are five justices, uh, a majority who might want to. Uh, yes. What do you think is going to happen um, in, on, in the court on abortion terror? They're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. This is what they've been saying for years. When people show you who they are, believe them. Uh, that's who Amy Coney Barrett is. That's who Brett Kavanaugh is. They're not in there. They they didn't um, get to be Supreme Court justices if they had any honor to begin with, because they would have bowed out of being part of Mitch McConnell's plot to overthrow, to illegally through dirty tricks over, uh, you, you know, basically pack the courts. Not just basically. That's what they did. They followed the the playbook of autocrats throughout history, and they corrupted the judiciary. So. Trump, um, the and the he we all know he received fewer votes. This Supreme Court, this is what drives me insane about the Repub I mean about the Democrats is that they do not. I don't know why they need to listen to Tara Buster first of yes. all, so they can get some talking Everybody points. Needs to listen they to do Tara exactly, Buster. exactly because they they need to message that the Supreme Court is has been uh, compromised. And it has. So it's like the Republicans, they go, they, we, we fight, we march, we get people elected to Congress, and we change the course of history for the better of the general welfare, for the, for the people, right? And then the Republicans get in power, and regardless of what the people want, they overthrow, they overturn, they write laws, they suppress. Uh, the, what the people want. The majority of the American people, we all know this. This is not a center-right nation. It is a, it's a progressive nation, that's for sure. So 
Um, the majority of the American people want, want don't want their big, felt, filthy Republican noses in their doctor's office. We've we've settled this for 50 years, but they're not. They don't they don't play by the rules. So they are. All, so the rules aren't in their favor anymore because we're a multiracial, supposed, not really functioning democracy at this point. But they're, they're that's why they they got to get rid of democracy. It's in the way. You know, it was working for a while because they had those stop gaps, like the Jim Crow laws and whatnot. But the more that we become a more perfect union, that's when they freak out and they can't handle it. That's right. And that's why they're going after. It doesn't matter what the people want. They're going to go after the reproductive rights. It's really privacy. Privacy. Do you have the right to decide? With your with your partner, with your doctor, with whoever the hell, with yourself, you know, because you're a, you're a grown friggin' ass woman, with an autonomous person, you know, who can make a goddamn decision without a Republican, you know, sticking his nose in your business. But um, yeah, they will overturn Roe v. Wade. The Democrats. Well, let me ask Mark a question. Mm-hmm. Then. We're out of time, Mark. Brad. Sir, I know. Oh, oh, Jesus time. Christ. Oh my okay, God. well, uh, thanks to my guest today on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, Charlie Cook, uh, the editor, the, the public, the founder of Cook Political Report, Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, and our own Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back every month. We'll be back Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time or the podcast anytime at Bannon. Uh, periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. Thanks for joining us and uh, we hope to see you again uh, very soon. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Tara. Thank you, guys. I know, it does. Come into Bell Tire today. You'll get the lowest tire price, period. Get up to $200 off a set of four Goodyear tires. You'll also get a guy who will give you free lifetime flat repairs, tire rotations, and alignment checks. Get up to $200 off a set of four Goodyear tires, plus more free services and more out of your tires and more for your money. It's how we make the lowest tire price feel even lower at Bell Tire. See store and belltire.com for details and offer expiration. Work out your stress and get back to feeling great at Planet Fitness. Join now through October 13th for just $1 down and get back to a routine that's right for you with tons of equipment and free fitness training in our clean and spacious clubs. Plus, check out the crowd meter in our free PF app for the best time to visit. Join today for $1 down, $10 a month, and cancel anytime. Hurry, deal ends October 13th. Join today for $1 down. Offer ends October 13th. See club for details.